Welcome everyone to the Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me, who dat? It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to talk to you about our overall impressions of season one of Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. Indeed, Pete. This 10-episode arc, it went by quickly. I feel like it was just yesterday that we were we were getting ready for that June 7th premiere, and here we are uh, a week or a little after a week after the uh, the, the season one finale there. And I, I think certainly a very strong outing and a new kind of new corner of the MCU in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was kind of surprised how well this did in terms of attention. I mean, listen, the characters are very, very popular from the comics. Um, but I, I think the network had a big hand in in finding a new audience for Marvel TV. Yeah, I mean, that certainly is part of the continued transformation that Freeform has. Freeform that perpetual, you know, back when the Family Channel was bought by ABC, then it was ABC Family, then it was Freeform. They kind of have yet to fully come up with a uh, a, a strategy, a, a label that works. But you know, based on the commercials we've seen for other stuff on Freeform, kind of going on concurrently to Cloak and Dagger, as well as just the flavor we've gotten from Cloak and Dagger, I, I feel like this is a good product, and certainly if if uh, only evidenced by the uh, the renewal, it certainly caught on with audiences the way they hoped. Yeah, that they were able to announce the renewal at San Diego Comic-Con, that we know a second season is going to come ahead of where they were last year um, with uh, the spring of 2019, tells you that this is successful, and I'm really looking forward to where they'll ultimately go but Matt, let's look back at season one. What was your favorite episode? Uh, you know, I have to say, I think it was the season finale, uh, episode 10, Colony Collapse. I, I, I feel like that was where it all came together, which, of course, was structurally going to be the case. But for me, emotionally, that's where it really came together. Seeing Tandy and Tyrone, you know, finally touch hands and then they're 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 fighting the evil forces and they're using their powers in concert uh then ending up on top of the superdome to me that's when that's when it all clicked in a way where it had not uh previous in the season and this matt is why we are our own cloak and dagger i'm going to go in the complete opposite direction the season premiering debuting two-part uh night for me was by far the strongest entry in the entire season, First Light and Suicide Sprints. We got to know our heroes for the first time, see them as they began their lives in stasis, see the flashback to what had happened before, and really kind of kickstart this adventure. I think, too, that one of the strengths of, uh, I don't know whether it was writing to the audience that they were going to have on Freeform or whether it was Freeform saying, Hey, here's some, you know, here's some topics or here's some flavor that, that we want if it's going to be a free form product. Um, but I think the show, the show hit that audience and hit that zeitgeist. Well, you think early on in those first couple episodes, you're dealing with 
again, not just the kind of environmental stuff, which, you know, unfortunately is a, is an ongoing topic, but some of the things that are, um, increasingly in discussions today, whether it's sexual assault, whether it's, uh, some of the racial issues, um, it feels like this is a show that, that I was going to say squarely hit it, but it wasn't like, this is the assault episode. It was all woven in, in a way where Mm -hmm. it was part of the story and it was part of their existence. Um, whether it was something smaller, like, like the, 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 uh, attempted rape on Tandy, which, you know, kind of had, you know, existed for three, four episodes or whether some of the ongoing, uh, racial dialogue happening with Tyrone, it, it, it felt well integrated, not here's a very special episode where we talk about, you know, life for a young black man. It was part of the show. Yeah, and it was an unusual entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of dealing with themes with the age group, the demographic that we're talking about, primarily late teens, early 20s. You can't flip on something on Netflix or ABC that's going to show that even on Hulu with Runaways, they don't or they have not yet gotten into subject matter like that. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, though Runaways and Cloak and Dagger, you're dealing with uh, characters that are approximately the same age. Runaways, I think, as a product is meant more clearly for that high school, college audience, whereas uh, Cloak and Dagger is kind of more college and out of college audience. Not to say that you can't watch it if you're younger, not to say that you can't watch it if you're a little bit past college as you and I are. Um, but I just think that slight change in demographic, that's what added to the richness of the story here where you are digging into those things more so than, you know, like in Runaways, hey, there are all these parents who are basically successfully operating couples um, and everyone's rich and has the big house, etc. This is more, you know, hey, there's no coming back for for uh tandy's mom in terms of you know dad's not going to come back he's dead she's far down the the hole of alcoholism and substance abuse and things like that and this is not a story of redemption this is a story of dealing with that and not only does it foster the interest in the show itself with seven eight other active marvel cinematic tv shows it really breeds that cross permutation people checked out runaways that uh showed its first episode uh over broadcast after the finale people are digging into that now on hulu people are checking out the netflix shows as a result of this i had a talk with uh a kid of 13 the other day who's gobbled up all the cloak and dagger and did not know there were all these other shows. It is interesting to think that every one of these shows is an entry point to the back catalog. And part of what I found interesting was watching, um, watching cloak and dagger, which I, I think I split it probably 50, 50 in terms of watching live versus um watching you know on demand etc whatever on demand source uh, i got it from uh the next day and i have never been so aware of a uh show on uh, you know on tv you know broadcast in basic cable i've never been so aware of a show that made its 
allegiance, its rerun allegiance, its streaming allegiance with a streamer, in this case Hulu, so present. Now I know there's the Disney deal and so on and so forth, and I suspect that even though the deal isn't completely done and you can't legally act in a way different than you were, probably it just occurred to some some freeform people to be like, oh man, hey Hulu people, you want to work together? What a great idea it would be. Also, our new bosses will be impressed by it. <laughs> um, but I have never been so aware of, essentially, here's the message I got. I know you could watch it on the freeform website on streaming, but here's the the message I got whenever they ran a little you know, commercial or whatever. For it, the message was this: watch it live on Freeform, stream it on Hulu thereafter, and that was new to me. Yeah, and listen, there's so many different outlets and and possible platforms. I mean, really, broadcast cable streaming, but you know whether you're checking it out on your phone, as so many. Uh, younger people do, whether you're watching it on your TV, whether you're watching it on your laptop, your iPad, whatever it is, and then the number of places for content you're going to go. Um, but this one's so unique in the way that over the air dealing with what it does in a universe where we have Captain America, you know, dealing with a, a young black man in New Orleans trying to get justice for his slain brother that he saw murdered um, with a teen girl who's uh, got a mother who has a uh, prescription pill problem and, and alcoholism and everything there. These are serious, serious issues that, you know, we really haven't seen much of in the rest of this universe. There's certainly that, and I'll add to it, I think the restraint, I want to praise the restraint that the show had uh, in terms of kind of going over the top, uh, or, or rather the restraint to not go over the top with some of those MCU connections. Yes, we were all salivating. Oh, O'Reilly is a detective from Harlem. Have you ever heard of Misty Knight? Hey, over on Luke Cage, they just said, remember when O'Reilly left? But in the grand scope of things, those were like two or three mentions and one was on Luke yes. Cage. So there was minimal reference. You could watch this show in a bubble. And I'm reminded yep. of Black Panther where it was the exact same thing, where it was, we're going to focus on this story and we'll give you a little connection at the very end. And that's basically it. Not not this kind of, oh man, um, the, the cloak that uh that that cloak has is it shield tech is it star tech like it was none of that it was just tell this story it was made by some gentleman and his slain brother <laughs> like <laughs> um yeah but to to speak to what you were talking to before about you know the mentions of harlem real place and uh, the connection between uh, Bridget O'Reilly from one show to another, one she's never shown up on, um, and to be mentioned in one and to mention the character of Misty Knight on the other, okay, a maximum of like three times across three different episodes or two different episodes, okay? Um, it's not as if they wrote that on a whiteboard, like – in our big episode seven of each series, we're going to do this, but that they're there. 
and again the effect it creates you you could use that and go down that hole and oh i'm gonna check out luke cage i haven't done that or you don't need to um they truly have it both ways you know we also podcast star trek and one of the things we often reflect upon is that the mcu when it comes to tv in particular but overall is the closest thing that we've ever had in entertainment to what star trek had in the 90s and the early part of the 2000s in that they had all these shows on tv at most ever two uh concurrent and they had movies going on as well and that's something that spans 700 plus episodes and now with star trek discovery they're they're back adding to that but this a level of interconnectivity i remember watching you know star trek in the 98 season or the 99 season and it was oh next episode they're gonna change the uniforms like they did on your tv on your film screen 18 months ago and it was like oh my god it's happening it's happening yeah i think even there was a I think there was a Deep Space Nine episode where it was like, they didn't intend it this way, but Deep Space Nine debuted the uniform the week before the movie came out. You know, something like that where, you're right, that was high-level integration of story stuff back then, and now it's just, it's it, it's so effortless. But again, I return to, it shouldn't turn into, you know, back in the heyday of CSI, I remember there was a um, there was a case that went, like whatever it was, there was the bad guy that our CSI people in Las Vegas were chasing. And at the very end, he gets on a bus. And do you know where he was headed, Pete? Las Vegas. No, he was headed to Criminal Minds on Next. And then the Criminal Minds people were chasing him. And Pete, you'll never guess who they ran into. The people from CSI. Oh and it was like, goodness. I mean, it was cool to watch both. I watched CSI pretty faithfully for a chunk of years, never Criminal Minds. So it was kind of like, on the one hand, it was cool to see the crossover. On the flip side, I was forced to watch a thing to understand how the story ended, and it was a thing that I didn't particularly care to watch. And I think that's where they've gotten smart. They don't clunkily connect. Hey, you've got to continue the story over here. You can go and continue to follow what's going on there and the the breadcrumbs that come about and we talk all the time about though jeff Loeb says hashtag it's all connected and there's this you know ribbing that goes on back and forth between the audience and him it's also not at the level that people have thought and then they're trying to get greater connectivity and everything else can we just be happy that we have as much as we do and it does connect in some way shape or form no one else is doing this while simultaneously still um still maintaining that internal that internal fidelity i think that there there were a number of episodes this season that i did not I didn't finish the episode and say, wow, I love this. Um, it wasn't that I was greatly displeased. I think that, Pete, I can think back to last summer, the show, the MCU show that we podcasted, just feeling like, 
oh my goodness, I'm not enjoying this. I'm not having fun. That was never the case with Cloak and Dagger. But there were maybe of the 10 episodes, there were maybe four where I was like, all right, you know, stuff happened. That was interesting, but it kind of didn't, it didn't make me sit up. However, here we are at the end of the season. And as you were saying before, this is a season that deals with racial issues. Uh, I don't know if we would exactly call Tandy and her mother at a poverty level, but certainly, you know, kind of class issues, drug and alcohol addiction in Melissa Bowen, kind of the upwardly mobile in in the Johnson family, um, and then also the intersection of race there. Police abuse. I mean, police abuse that gets worse and worse and worse as the season goes on, and you work in kind of corporate and environmental issues and corporate and environmental abuse and on top of it you have superpowers this is an incredibly jam-packed season and i think that maybe for some of those episodes where i wasn't blown away by the episode i also maybe wasn't fully cognizant of the fact that hey there wasn't spandex like super people fighting and like you know <laughs> we're gonna tie you up and leave you with a note that says dear police i rob banks like maybe it wasn't hitting those levels because they were busy giving me all my vegetables and all my vitamins talking about real things not here's them uh, bad guys hanging from light post as police arrive yeah and again that different type of show that's not going to be over netflix and therefore bingeable and one episode pulling you right into the next and not on broadcast like an abc uh, you know, standard TV, if you will, where, you know, self-contained week to week end of story, despite the serial nature of, uh, you know, TV in these late teens as we are. But Matt, let's talk about our least favorite storylines of season one. Hmm. That's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting starting point. I think for me, maybe the storyline early on of Tyrone falsifying the police report and the whole, you know, I took dad's bolt cutters and I want to get close to Connor's, but I'm not sure whether they give the police the information about the missing bike and kind of so on and so forth. To me, it felt a little kind of, um, I don't want to quite say overly written, but it kind of was a little, there's a lot of like, you know, one to two and two to three and three to four, where we didn't quite feel as organic while other portions of the story were still getting off track or I getting enjoy, on track. I enjoyed that. I'm going to tell you why. Uh, the idea that a straight laced kid like that is suddenly resorting to trying to trick the police, that he goes into a hostile environment in the police station. He feels all these eyes on him. There's the pressure, everything else. And that ultimately connects him with O'Reilly that jumpstarts uh, the story. So I, I was down with that, Matt. Again, our, our opposites here. You, you're the dark on the light. Here's where I'm going to go dark. The rich kid Rick storyline early on. And yes, it culminates in some important stuff in the attempted assault. But man, some of that stuff was unbearable. Yeah, I think we saw once again in this season, particularly a first season, we saw in an, in an MCU show where it felt like things were taking their time getting off the ground, um, 
I don't know where that comes from. Does that come from really luxuriating in the knowledge? Hey, we have an episode order of blank. You know, it's not that kind of week to week of broadcast where it's like, we better hit things out of the park and keep them coming back next week. You know, knowing that you had the 10 episode order, do you sit and say, you know what, what we would do on ABC in the first episode, let's push that to episode two, stuff we might do in two to really link up. Let's do that in episode three. I don't know, but it felt like it got a got a little wild to to get going. Um, I wonder too, you know, to what degree are they aware that a show now can have extra life at the halfway mark? You say this season is halfway over. Get caught up. Stream the first five episodes now on Freeform dot com and Hulu. And instead of it being a slow start, it's wow, that was. Pete, it, it took me it took me three and a half hours to get through those first five episodes, and man, am I ready for more? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's simply how it. Uh, maybe that's how it works now with these computers and the bleeps and the bloops and the streamings. Pete, what were some of the strongest parts of the season in your eyes? Well, I think that O'Reilly, uh, her evolution from uh, the silent de- detective TSD, as we were calling her early on, and yeah, listen, we all knew who she was playing but that they teased it out i think a little too long before she finally talks and you know we we understand who she is and what she's doing uh to mayhem well i'll mention as a kind of procedural or a season-wide uh strength of the season of these 10 episodes four are directed by women uh you have a number of people of color who who directed as well uh some repeats pete you know we uh, we are very familiar with the work of peter Hoare, who has directed like every mcu thing maybe not counting agents of shield but has directed off the top of my head without even looking at imdb i mean daredevil defenders uh maybe luke cage i think jessica jones you know so he's well ensconced with marvel uh but some newer names for example uh jennifer pong who has prior to this five, six credits at most in TV, uh, otherwise shorts and music videos and things like that. So it's, it's nice to see um, Marvel TV. And I think this is an, an undersung strength of Marvel TV kind of as a label, but there's always a, a wide amount of diversity and experience coming to these shows and not just diversity for diversity's sake. And honestly, not just, you know, it's not like they're hiring just new people. I mean, that might be the case with, uh, with Ms. Pong, but you also have, as, as mentioned, um, at the Jessica Jones event we went to back in March, you know, if you look to find diverse directors, it's not that you say, Oh, we're going to get a whole bunch of women who are out of film school. You find that there's a bunch of talented people with experience and resumes and whatnot. If you just make the effort to go find them. Absolutely. And then being given the opportunity with this type of material, I think back with uh, X Star Wars Episode Nine director uh, Colin Trevorrow, who has now had to go back and slum it in the uh, Jurassic World franchise, and he'll be directing the the follow up to Fallen Kingdom. When he said that women don't want to direct um, big budget action movies, which is so completely untrue. Um, and what do you know, his boss is a woman and eventually it cost him his job. You know, you, you and then his boss stopped being a woman because she fired him. Right, right. 
you can you can believe the the story stuff all you want that didn't help him and to get these different perspectives and these different views and the idea of culture in an idea i'm sorry in a show where the idea is uh, a clash of cultures in a city we've not spent any time in in this cinematic universe and be able to tell the story of this young black man and this young woman who comes from an, a now impoverished background is highly important. Well, Pete, as this season starts to wrap up, what are our listeners saying about Cloak and Dagger? We go to the Fantastic Geek Facebook page where John Stewart wrote in, I have some thoughts in no particular order. One, the season suffered from pacing. It started all right, but it had a really slow slump in the middle. Then they rushed through the final episode, which they could have stretched into two episodes. I get that they wanted character development, but our heroes could have been doing a few more hero things to liven the story. Two, they need to drop the unnecessary shaky cam stuff. Three, I really dug the actors who played Cloak and Dagger. The kid playing Tyrone was really good in particular. The supporting actors did well, too. Four, I think Mayhem will be more like a Punisher character. She will be anti-heroic and villainous, but she will target those she feels worthy of her brand of justice. I think she will find some kind of redemption, whether she survives or not. Five, the Exposition News, capital, reports in the final episode strongly suggested the people affected by the mystery gas are okay now. Six, I like that there is room for development of the strange stuff Roxon was drilling for. The show leaves room for it being sciency or supernatural. And seven, Matt, it was a stroke of genius to have the show take place in New Orleans and then use the symbolism of mysticism that place invokes. I hope they delve into that some more. Of all of those great observations, I perhaps like the last one best because, yes, it is a city that has this mystical past to it or this the appearance of it. I certainly don't know, Pete. I'm, I, I've done the uh, I've done the the graveyard tour, and uh, actually, I've done the voodoo tour as well. There are some stories. Who knows if it's true, Pete? Uh, <laughs> some which would terrify you. Some which suggests vampires in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, and no, that's a legit suggestion on the tour, but I digress. Um, yeah, it's so well suited to bring this place that is has a history of, you know, kind of uh, traditional faith, you know, the, the history of the Catholic Church there and whatnot, as well as this kind of voodoo mysticism. And to, to, to make this a place where that is explored on a certain level, really, really great observation. I'll go with uh, the the choice for uh, Tyrone Johnson. I think that Aubrey Joseph was just a tremendous presence. And to be able to find somebody who not only can act, who, who can sing, um, you know, the athletic nature of the character, everything that went into it and, and not playing it in a in a sulky way, um, you know, really, really well done there. 
Uh, Matt, we also had a comment from Lauren Stewart Rosenblatt. She says, I love the show. Having no comic book background, I like the season showing me how they came to be a team. I pretty much binge watched it and didn't notice a slow pace. The show's location was brilliant. I'm tired of everything Marvel being in NYC. How did Tyrone absorb Connors? Spring 2019 is so far away. It certainly does feel far away. I think before we know what we're going to say, oh man, I can't believe that, I don't know, it's December and we're seeing commercials for it. Or, hey, it's January. The first billboard went up in Los Angeles. How it's returning, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's smart of them to have that faster return. Um, in part because they're not... They're not competing in a space, you know, like it's not like, oh man, what's going to happen when the other free form comic book show comes back? Can it handle two at once? That's not the case. So keep this brand on this channel chugging along and um, I can't wait. As far as how Tyrone absorbed Connors, that goes back to the the comic iteration where he can take people and put them in the cloak. They've talked about that the producers have already previewed that a little bit for season two we're going to find out what goes on underneath the cloak so that is coming for season two and certainly it's meant uh it's it certainly in the comics it is related to the dark force uh which we've seen in the mcu in agents of shield big time agent carter season two i'm sure they did not name it as such on screen in cloak and dagger but in my mind it's very very clear that there's that there's that mcu connection well pete the adventure of this season is certainly coming to a close at this point as mentioned before super excited about uh, the return in the spring of 2019 and uh, of course our podcast adventures will continue over on the uh the pop culture podcast feed with a variety of stuff uh, whether it's getting ready for uh, Star Trek Discovery, whether it's some other stuff related to the fall TV schedule. Certainly, if you're listening to us on the Cloak & Dagger feed, you can uh, say, stay subscribed, stay tuned, and uh, when we hear more about Season 2, other cast news, etc., we will update the feed. Yeah, more recently, we'll be hitting uh, Iron Fist, beginning with that show dropping season two on Friday, September 7th, and leading up to that. Like Matt indicated, we have some things cooking for the upcoming fall TV season, one of which we're going to record exactly after this episode. So stay tuned on that. Something very different from what we've done before, but at the same time in, in keeping with Fantastic Geek. And then, yeah, you know, whether it's tentpole uh, movies or pop culture in between, New York Comic Con coming up in October, we'll be bringing all that to you. Well, Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk season two of Cloak and Dagger and other geeky goodness? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-9932. -E 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 9932 followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. 
As mentioned before, we will update the cloak and dagger feed as soon as news warrants. Otherwise, we are headed to the Pop Culture Podcast feed for more stuff. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final season one word. The universe keeps pulling us apart. Yeah.